Hello, I'm David Kenny. Um, if you haven't met me, I'm on staff. I'm one of the staff members here. I've been, this is my 13th year with PCF. Um, I met my wife here um, at Princeton, and uh, we were very close by in town. Look forward to getting to know you. We're starting the school year with a series of the basics. Who is Jesus? And that's where we're starting. And uh, Bill, last week, uh, talked about a uh, passage out of the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And this week, I'm going to do Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world. I'm just going to talk about one. I'm just going to read one verse and then say a few things about it. So let's turn to that. It's John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me read that again. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think Jesus, in this verse, is saying three things. First, he's saying something about the world. Second, he's saying something about himself. And last, he's saying something about us. About the world, about himself, and about us. What's he saying about the world? He's saying about the world, meaning all of us, that it's walking in darkness. Walking in darkness. When I was a student, I would explore buildings on campus. When they were going up, and they were, I don't recommend this, but I think <laughs> statue of limitations is one now. And they put up the football stadium when I was a freshman. And I remember walking after they finished that. I was just walking through one day. I, would, I mean, you know, sometimes I'd run into construction workers, and they would just give me tours. Not once did I get in trouble. Three times I got tours. Um, <laughs> so I, I walked up the, uh, the say I found, like, the gate to the ramp. Uh, was open. I walked up, and, you know, I was in, like, the press box area, nice TVs. Uh, I could have walked home with, um, and uh, I was, you know... I was opening doors, and I opened this door, and walked into the stairwell dark, and I just walked through, and the door locked and closed behind me. Okay. And I turned around to open it, and you know, those doors like, lock, there'd be people out. And so there I am, I'm in this pitch dark stairwell at the top of the football stadium, the locked door line, right? no emergency light. And I had this moment, you know, I think I actually like knocked on the door, <laughs> and this was like not in football season, this was like the spring. And so I'm like, how long before someone opens up this door? Um, and so I'm like, well, uh, this is stairwell here. I can't see it, but I'm pretty sure if I walk down, um, I'll at least be on ground level, maybe behind another one. And so I, I went down the stairs, you know, pitch darkness. It's like, I don't think anyone had walked through that since they built it. You know, even if hadn't been around that long, there's a lot of cobwebs. You know, you just had to embrace that, like I brought this on myself. <laughs> and uh, I went down that stairwell. That is, I think, that's what I imagined in my mind. This is what Jesus said. The world is walking in darkness, right? You're in that dark stairwell. You don't know if there's an exit, right? You're stuck there. I mean, even by your own, like, fault in that case, for me, even to that extent. The world is walking in darkness. That's what he's saying. And, you know, here he's drawing, he's drawing on, like, messianic prophecy. And we'll see this in multiple ways with this verse. Like out of Isaiah, there, I mean, there, this language suffuses the Old, the Old Testament. Isaiah, there are a couple passages, chapter 42, chapter 49, which talk about God's chosen, chosen servant who will redeem the world from darkness, who will be the light of the world and redeem it from darkness. Uh, you think Malachi 4.2, the son of righteousness, meaning the big 
ball of fire in the sky, the sun of righteousness will rise and with healing in its wings. And so there's this image of light and dark. When Jesus says that, he doesn't mean literal sight or lack thereof. You see that later in John chapter 9, when Jesus heals a man who was born blind to make the point that it's spiritual sight that is most crucial, rather than physical sight. But nonetheless, he makes this claim the world is walking in darkness in some deep and profound way. It's walking in darkness. It needs light. I think there are three responses to that claim that we make. The first is to deny it, is to ignore it. And this is, I mean, this is actually pretty easy for me a lot of the time. This is what I'm trying to do for my children, I feel, a lot, a lot of the time. What am I trying to, I have kids seven, five, and two, what are, what are Christine and I trying to do for our children? We're trying to give them an idyllic childhood, right? An idyllic childhood, which is like, let us push out all the darkness and then you talk about it. Right? It makes sense. And, um, you know, this was challenged this week uh, in a really, I mean, in a strong way. And I think ultimately a good way, a, a friend, uh, one of my son's classmates at school, his father passed away. And um, so my kid, you know, we're having that conversation about, like, death, what that means, right? They're too young to really controversial with that. And the funeral tomorrow, we'll go to take them to their first funeral um, tomorrow. I mean, there's that moment where it's like, if I'm going to hide from that darkness, I would have to, as soon as anything tragic happens in anyone else's life, I would have to just retreat from that. So people do that. I mean, my wife... She's never been to a funeral. That's how she was raised. Like, even funerals in the family, right? They didn't take the kids. So I was a pastor, so I went to funerals a lot. Right? That was my dad's job, to be there when the darkness hit. Right? But, so that's our first response. We can, just, we can just sort of deny it. A lot of Christians actually do this. You get a little bit of light. Like, oh, I found this wonderful group of Christians, and they're nice, and they're caring, and they're loving, and like, let us shut this down. Create a little bunker. Just us nice Christians, and keep out all that darkness out there, right, in the world. Uh, so that can be that response. It's an understandable response. We seem like wonderful people, don't we? Like, Princeton is awesome. We have it all. So anyway, first step, just deny it. Second is to distract yourself from it. A dear friend of mine at Princeton, this is in later, later life, um, uh, he was visiting us, and he said, said to me, it's like, because he doesn't, you know, beliefs like love, truth, it's all an illusion, right? We're just organisms working out that biology. He's like, but you just, and I'm like, well, but do you live your life that way? He's like, no, of course not. You have to live the mind. He believes like he's married, his children, you know, but he believes that's just an illusion. You have to live as if the lie is true. That's the exact word. You have to live as if the lie is true. It seems to me, if you have to, like, everything that seems true about the world, you have to believe it's a lie. Maybe you should default to believing it's true. Rather than believing it's a lie. But you know, that's a response to just distract ourselves. I, just, I was with my brothers in London, um, while crossing the Thames on a bridge years back. You know, and I was being a tourist, and it's like it was at night, and St. Paul's Street, I was looking at the city, you know, the city proper of London, just the financial district, big buildings, lights. I was St. Paul's confused, it's all that other night. I'm just walking along, staring at St. Paul's, and bam, right into a lamppost. I mean, I almost, I mean, that is like, I almost passed out. You know, I was like this close to falling off the bridge. Right? Um, never have I hit my head so hard. And um, I, I think that's often that's how we live life. We're like, ooh, pretty. We fill ourselves with distractions. Like we are good at it. I mean, it's like a friend who works in tech. You know, he feels like all I feel all I do is create better toys for us to distract ourselves. Well, we like it. I mean, it's nice. And it's a place for distraction. 
But often what that leads to is like, there's all this darkness in the world, and for understandable reasons, we don't want to fix it. And so we look at the pretty things off to the side and hope the day doesn't come too soon when we walk land straight into a pole. So there's that trying to distract ourselves. There's the there's the ignoring it. And then the third is like the despair. You know, and sometimes we cycle through these things. Right? And you know, different people are in different places. Some people are very steady, or at least seem that way. I mean with guys one on one a lot. And you know, some guys like, you know, you can meet with them four years and you're just like, do they have feelings? Right? You're just like prodding and poking. You know, it's like kind of like a little bit of tears. Like, you know, I'm trying to cultivate, like, how can I provoke an emotional response? And, uh, you know, some guys are working, like, you know, work with systematic theology in the course of the year. And one guy who I did that with, and it was like, after four, and I met with him multiple years, and it was like a pigment at the end of the year, right? And he was graduating, and all of a sudden, all this stuff came out. And I'm like, four years, that's what it took. <laughs> yeah, that's what it took. You know, I mean, some people, maybe you're in that category, maybe it feels that way right now. Like, no, no, I'm fine. I don't feel a lot of darkness. I don't in the sense of, like, you know, the ignorance of evil, of people around me, or problems with the world, um, or, like, my, you know, my faith relative to God, my creator. I don't feel any of that. I'm fine. I'm normal. But you're lying to yourself, right? You're lying to yourself. And then many of us, but like we're straight in that like that third response. Like you just hit that despair. That was true for me for a good chunk of my life when I was I left Princeton for a number of years. As a result, I hit that, right? It's like, you know, my distraction from the darkness was well I'm good at school. And then I stopped I grew up spiritually to stop caring about school. And then that your next step is like I was just what is where is my identity? There is darkness. So some of us know that darkness all too well. All too well. And I, I definitely fall into it. Sometimes, you know, counseling people who are deeply depressed, which I've done a lot of, I haven't been deeply depressed myself, you know, sometimes I do that. It's like, you know what? You just need to, like, distract yourself. I mean, you know, you come to the end of yourself and, like, play more video games. It's the only time I've, like, encouraged guys to play video games. You know, it's like, because they're just caught in that moment that just hit, that hit of despair. My mother said it to me. When I was depressed, he said, Oh, you're in the slough of despond. I didn't know catch the reference. Anyone catch it? Pilgrim's progress, right? The pilgrim on his way to the celestial city gets bogged down in the slough of despond. That's like, you know, like the swamp of despair. That's like the bit of New Jersey by Newark Airport. The water like is fluorescent green. And uh, the slide response. And so this is often our response to darkness. So how do we get out of it? Right? How do we get out of it? What is the answer? Well, that gave me to Jesus' second point. He says something about himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Now he's saying this, you know, verse 12 begins, again, Jesus spoke to them. It calls back to in chapter 7. He's speaking at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, it's also called. And at that, that, that was one of the great pilgrimage feasts, along with Pentecost and Passover where Jewish men were supposed to gather in Jerusalem to worship God. And so he's there at this feast with all these people gathered from far and wide, and he's teaching. And earlier in chapter 7, he was talking about, you know, drink the water I give you, and out of you will flow river, rivers of living water. And so this, again, is he's following on to that. What do we know? The Feast of Booze was a celebration of the salvation of the Israelites when they lived in tents. That's the Booze or Tabernacles. They lived in tents when they wandered in the Sinai. They were brought out of slavery in Egypt. 
They were provided food. They were led by God's glory. appeared to them in a cloud on Mount Sinai. It was radiance masked by that cloud. But that light um, from inside the cloud, that pillar of fire by night, is what led them through the 40 years of wandering in the desert. And that's what they were celebrating. And water figured in to that. But also on the last night, they put up in the, the court of the temple, the court for women on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. You know, it's on a little, um, a little mountain with above the rest of the city, they put these four huge lamps and they would light them at night. It was this mat, it's like burning mat. Burning mat was a righteous thing, right? You create a massive amount of flame. And so everyone would see in the city and in the surrounding valleys, you'd see the life of the temple. And this is an image of God's salvation coming in to the darkness, right? Commemorating God saving the people of Israel out of Egypt through the wanderers, through their own disobedience and rebellion through their own struggles, in the face of enemies, in the face of hunger and thirst. So that's why Jesus says in this context, I am the light of the world. Right? That's the, you've got to imagine like massive crowds and huge, four huge torches within the temple. And so he says, I am the light of the world. Well, well, what's meant by that? Is, is that about his teaching? If we understand and apply his teaching rightly, that's the light of the world, then we will have access to that. We will see the light. Is it about his example? If we see his example and imitate it, we will have the light of the world. Is it about what he did specifically in his life? Let me unpack that a little bit. This is about his teaching. I, mean, I said this, we had a cookout for um, grad students, I think the graduate PCF um, ministry. And uh, we had a cookout last week for new grad students, graduate students. And I was talking to a guy, he was like, he was a seeker. He was he was saying, even if you get rid of all the magic in the Bible, by that I assume he meant like anything supernatural. If you get rid of all the magic, like just what Jesus said, like that's awesome. Right? Which is true. People like agree with that. They love, I mean, except when Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God, and God died for the sin of the world. Um, like I claiming to heal people, people said he performed miracles. It's like what Jesus says is so powerful and beautiful. Love it. I mean, they didn't necessarily either love it or hated it in his own lifetime. But people love it. And so it's like that teaching. Is that sufficient? Right? Is that the sum total of the light of the world? You know, I read the Sermon on the Mount. I should turn the other cheek. I read the parable of the Good Samaritan. I should stop and care for people who are strange, who are my neighbors, even strangers. Right? Even people who are parts of ethnic groups that I'm opposed to, which is what the Samaritans were. When we read that, we say we're very attracted to it. The hard thing is, this is like the dark, where you just really see the darkness of the human heart, is like we can know exactly not just what's right, but even what's good for us, and still not do it. So like, if, if we take it that way, if we get rid of the supernatural aspects of what Jesus did, and we just limit it to the wonderful things he said, where does that leave it? How many people do you see walking around living their life exactly like Jesus Christ Right, living out those radical teachings, that radical call. I've met some actually. But they believed a little bit more than just what Jesus said was right and true. But like for the most part, that is just kind of actually challenging. Because when we go out into the thick of it, we find our heart is, is full of darkness. I think a teaching they did the study of the parable of the Good Samaritan with seminary students going on their way to preach a sermon about that parable of the Good Samaritan, how you should stop for someone. 
who's in need. And they placed someone, an actor, who was like bleeding, lying on the side of the road, on the path of the people who were going to preach on that passage. And what they discovered was like most people didn't stop. And uh, for the most part, it was only those who were running ahead of time who would stop. stop. And those running late basically didn't. Right? It's like, it's, that's just depressing. You know, that just makes you want to go play video games and distract yourself from the reality of the darkness of the human heart. I don't think it is not enough. When Jesus says he was light of the world, he doesn't just mean uh, learn my teachings. Nor, I think, is he saying just follow my example. And that would imply having to die on the cross. Again, but even then, follow my example and imitate that level of righteousness. As much as we are called explicitly, if you are a Christian, to do that, if you're called Christ to do that. But how? This is the really hard thing. How do I get that right? I can see, maybe you can read about Jesus. You can look at his example and you say, I see this is right. I wish I was like him. But I'm not. I'm like me. How do I go from being like me to like him? And this is where, what does it mean that Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world? It's what he did. This is, you know, C.S. Lewis called this the deep magic of the world in Narnia. J.K. Rowling, and Harry Potter gets maligned by Christians in certain circles, maybe by in your own family. But she latched onto this Christian principle explicitly in Harry Potter. What is the deep, deep truth of the world? It's this, that Jesus died for our sins. Right? He laid down his life so that we wouldn't pay the price for the wrong that we do before God our Creator. He died for our sins, yours and mine, all who call on his name. And he rose from the dead, breaking its power. So when I go to a funeral tomorrow, this is, you know, it really like forces you to say, what am I really following in life? What do I really believe in? It's like we have these eyewitness testimonies. From these, they were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. It blew their minds. And certainly people didn't think that was a particularly good message, saying God came and got killed. But here, this is the deep truth of the This is more how, this is what takes you from being me. Oh, I see all this beautiful truth. Wow. I'm just myself, selfish, weak. How do I go from being me to like Jesus? He died from me. It's love writ on the nature of the world, on the nature of our hearts. It's a claim on who you are, what you believe, what you think, how you act, who you will follow, where you will go. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what he has to say. Jesus is the light of the world. So last, Jesus is saying something about us as well. So he says that... In verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What does that mean to follow Jesus? I mean, there's this literal, again, called from that context of the Feast of Tabernacles. of like the people of Israel were in the desert following God's presence in the cloud. Right? The light, veiled as it was by the cloud, the light, they followed. They followed through a long period of time, through their lifetimes. They followed through adversity, caused by themselves and caused by others. Right? They followed through great difficulty to ultimately enter the promised land. That that was that happened in history. It was written down for a benefit. So we might uh, we on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come in Christ. So we might understand what this means 
to follow Jesus? What does it mean? It's more than just assent uh, a intellectually to his existence. Or more than that, that he represents uh, a wonderful example. Or even to say, I believe just that he died for me. I meant to go on living our lives as if nothing, nothing has happened. What does it mean to follow, follow Christ? It's to come to grips with what he has done. To come into encounter with that as recorded to us in the scriptures and by the church. And to follow him heart, soul, and mind. You know, we're all followers. Right? We're all sheep. Uh, that's the image used in the scripture. Sheep are good followers. Mount wise sheep behind the side Stalin. Uh, my friend is in Stalin. And everyone is sheep. Um, <laughs> and uh, most sheep are like these like weak creatures, uh, herd creatures, and they have this sort of plaintive uh, and uh, you get this little sheep dog on a hundred sheep will run away from it. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, we like to think of ourselves like we're lions. Okay? I mean I don't know how you think of yourself, but that's how Princeton would like to think that we are. Right? We're leaders of the world, right? Off getting Growing up in the gutter of Prospect Avenue twice a week. That's how we think about ourselves. We are on the move, but we are all, this is what Jesus has to say to you and I. We are all followers. That's especially true at Princeton. To get here, we are the kind of people who like to jump through hoops. Right? Someone tells you to jump how high, you jump that high. Right? You jump that high, maybe even higher, just to show you could. Right? We like met expectations and exceeded those expectations. We like it. It makes you feel good. Gives you a sense of purpose. And we follow, but this is the hard truth as life progresses. It's like, what are you following? Take a moment tonight and stop to think. What is driving you? Right? What is pulling you along? I mean, for me, when I was in high school, it was like, I got, I'm a good student, that's who I am. But what does that matter? I mean, doing well on standardized tests is not what matters in life. Sorry to break it. I had a friend, uh, Don Hall, he became a believer. I was a sophomore, he was a freshman. He was like a star runner on the track team. And he's like, oh, I'm going to, after he became a Christian, he's like, I'm going to quit track. And I'm like, why? It's like a biblical example and metaphor for the Christian faith. Run the race so as to win the prize. <laughs> like it's right there in scripture. And he's like, but he ran for himself. Like it was so caught up in his own ego. Like he felt he had to walk away from. Right? It's like we have, like, and it's, it's, it's hard to see it. I mean, I often you can go, like, far down the road in life. But to me, the beauty of your time at Princeton is it's this opportunity to examine, before you get too far down the road, to ask, where am I headed and what's pushing me? What is it that I'm following? Are you just following, like, I'm the kind of person who does what I'm supposed to do? Like, success vaguely defined, so that means I need to have a job that pays one, then what? Once you have that. Or I need to be, be in a relationship, and then what? Once you, what, once you have that. I, I appreciated this. When I was interviewed, did my interview for Princeton as an African back in high school, the lady who was doing it, she was a believer. And uh, she asked me, she's like, why do you want to go to Princeton? And I'm like, I'd read, like, I'd read that like, book, like, U.S.'s 317 best colleges or whatever it was, like, cover to cover. You know, I was like, okay, <laughs> You know, I'm like, Princeton is the best school, the highest endowment per student, like, more focused on undergraduates, like, et cetera, et cetera. I just asked And she's like, so what? You know? Like, why is that important? And I was like, well, because an educated, you know, I'm like, a, to be a well-educated person, you know, to, like, have that well, well-rounded liberal arts education, to be able to think critically, right? That's important uh, type of opportunities. 
that's a valuable that you can't miss it because you can follow, which is true by the way. She's like, well, why? Like, to have opportunities to what purpose? Like, where does it end? I mean, I've seen the end of it. Like, where it's like, okay, now you have lots of money. And like, whatever you want, maybe needing respect. So what? So what? That's like the hardest part of the darkness of the, the I believe lifestyle. It's like it just might give you everything you think you want. And then show you how empty that is without Christ. What are you following? It is, I have seen this. I can testify to it. It is worthwhile to follow the paths of Jesus. Someone who laid down his life for yours and mine for our salvation. Right? Who lived in obedience to the will of God the Father. That is a path that leads to fruit and happiness. Never, I mean, speaking foolishly, never mind salvation from that itself. Even if we lay that aside, that is the crucial thing. That is the crucial thing at the end of the day. To follow Jesus is of eternal value. It's of immense value for today. It's of immense value in Princeton. You're going about your classes. It's of immense value in your relationships and your friendships. If you pursue a romantic relationship, it is of ultimate importance. So that's why this is why we want to start the year talking about who is Jesus. Right? We want to keep the main thing the main thing. And we want to affirm, like at Princeton, don't just become super smart, super well educated, super successful in the eyes of the world. Get the knowledge, come in to encounter with the person most worth knowing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you, Heavenly Father, who have not left us in darkness. You have not left us in ignorance. But you have revealed through your word, through history, through your church. You have revealed your Son and Messiah, your chosen servant sent to bring healing in this wilderness. That all the nations of the world have come about for Heavenly Father, I pray that be true for each of us that we not be weary of following after Christ. That for each student here, that even as so many things fall on our attention, uh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be uh, at the center of each heart. And that you would teach us through the trials and difficulties, through things that happen to us and things that we cause, Heavenly Father, may Jesus be our point, our guide, our comfort, and our salvation. We pray this in